Well, good morning, South Suburban. For those of you whom I haven't met yet, my name is Drew Collins. I'm the worship arts pastor here. And uh, I just want to start right off the bat by saying that God loves you. God loves you, and you are welcome here. All right? This is a place um, where we're all in process. All right? There's, There's nobody here in this room, in this building this morning, that has life all figured out. So if anybody tells you that they do, just pat them on the head and say, oh, aren't you cute? (laughs) Listen, um, we're all on a journey to discover the best way to live our lives. And the reason that we make it a habit of joining together on Sunday mornings and then hanging out together during the week is because we genuinely have found that the best way to live life is by getting to know God better together. Does that make sense? So we're glad you're here. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Our prayer today is that we all get to know God just a little better. We're in the middle of a series of talks today called To Change a Life. This series is based on one of the accounts of Jesus' life, this one written by a first century doctor named Luke, who hung out with a lot of the people that knew Jesus. Um, He talked with these friends, he did a lot of research, and then he put together a narrative account of Jesus' life. Now, where we show up this morning in the account um, is Jesus' interaction with a paralyzed man and his four friends. It's found in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Let's take a look together. It says, one day Jesus was teaching, he was in Capernaum, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, He stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. A little bit of background to this part of the story. Uh, Jesus started his career in public ministry when he was about 30 years old. Now, the Dr. Luke records that when Jesus began his ministry, he gave a mission statement for his work. In the previous chapter, Luke 4, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord's upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of God's favor. He basically said that his mission was to take care of the hurting and broken. 
and to set people free from everything that binds them physically, spiritually, mentally. Jesus' mission was to set people free. And that's exactly what he started to do. Now, he had a place to stay in this, in this village called Capernaum. And it's one of the first places where he'd actually healed some people. Then, after spending some time there, he traveled on a little circuit for a bit to other villages doing the same kind of work. So by the time that he, uh, by the time that he got back to Capernaum, word had spread about him, and he was a big deal. Um, in fact, Luke's account says that he could no longer enter a city openly. He had to have like an entourage looking out for him. And, and, and he'd have to hang out in solitary places. Basically, it's the equivalent of, of he arrived at Von Miller's status. Okay? Like, you know, you would lose your stuff if you saw him out. Right? At the, by now, Jesus was, like, he had to have other people pick up his dry cleaning. Um, he had to shop for groceries in the off hours. And he had to carry a Sharpie with him to sign Messiah jerseys, like, wherever he went. Okay? So he gets back to Capernaum, and the party is on. Like, people from all over the region show up. And here's one of the cool things about Christ. Um, he's just gotten back from a really long business trip, and people are, like, banging down his door. You know what he does? He welcomes them in. Just everybody. He's like, come on in. And he, start, he sits down and starts teaching them about, more, about what God is like. So that's the background of today's story, okay? Um, there's a paralyzed man and his four friends, who hear that Jesus is back in town. So they decide to go see him. But it's not just to check him out. These guys are on a mission, too. Um, likely, this group of friends is from Capernaum. So they probably know some of the people that Jesus has healed, right? This isn't like a skeptic's trip for them. They've seen with their own eyes evidence of Jesus' power. So when they find out that he's home, they decide they're going to do whatever they have to do to get their friend in front of Jesus. Now, let me hit pause for a second. Don't we all want friends like that? Yeah? I mean, seriously. Um, friends that, that, that when we're down, they say, we don't care what it takes. We don't care what it costs. We don't care what needs to happen. We're going to see you through this. And haven't we all found ourselves in situations in life where we need friends like that? My wife, Sarah, and I, we've got, we've got one child, Selah, who's nine years old. Um, when Selah was born, we needed friends like that because we faced some challenges that we weren't prepared for. Um, on our list of things to accomplish before Selah was a toddler, we hadn't included um, seven surgeries, uh, multiple uh, rounds of infant CPR, and a whole pile of medical debt. It just like hadn't crossed our minds. We were, we were really uh, desperate and overwhelmed, and we needed help. Um, we had a number of well-meaning people who tried to help us by saying, it's going to be okay. God will never give you more than you can handle. That makes an awesome cat poster, <laughs> but that is a terrible way to approach life. Because as it turns out, for any of you who have read the Bible, um, that idea is nowhere in it. Did you know that? Like, it makes for a really nice needlepoint, but man, it's not biblical. 
Um, and I'm so glad that Jesus never said anything like that um, because here's the thing. I need a Bible that deals with real life and I need a savior that deals with real people like me and like you because when, when, when real people face real life, inevitably, they'll find themselves in a season at some point where whatever's going on is way more than they can handle. Amen? You ever been there, church? Yeah, that, that was us. That was us in that season. And like today's story, that's when we need friends who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The paralytic, he wasn't going to get to Jesus on his own, was he? He needed friends that were willing to grab the mat with one hand and tear up a roof with the other. He needed friends to do for him what he could not do for himself. Now, um, when Salem was born, I was already a pastor, but Jesus and I weren't really on speaking terms. Um, I was really upset with God about some events in my own life, um, and I'd come to be really cynical about church people. And it's not that I hadn't participated in, in, in these things I'm about to describe. Um, I wasn't like, I wasn't like uh, sinless in this, but I was, I, I, as a pastor, I'd gotten so tired of encountering hypocrisy and gossip and backbiting and just stupid in the name of Jesus that I was just over it, you know? And I was just like, man, I get it. I get it that I don't have all my stuff together, but I'm tired of this. Um, and, and so that's kind of where I was in my life as a professional paid minister of the gospel when Selah was born. And then the worst possible thing happened. Church people started taking care of us <laughs> in really incredible ways. Now, to be honest, it wasn't just church friends that got us through that season, but they, I'll tell you what, our church played a huge, huge role in helping us when we were in need. Um, Sarah and I got to the place that we couldn't pray. You ever been there? Like, we just ran out of words. And so our church, they prayed for us. Um, we ran out of money for hospital bills, so friends started GoFundMe campaigns for us. Um, we were running back and forth to children's hospital so much that our fridge was empty, and we had friends buy groceries for us. Um, we ran out of energy, so we had friends that came and stayed the night in the NICU with Sayla so we could sleep. Um, I, I had just begun a second job, so I had absolutely no paid time off accrued, and I had work colleagues donate vacation time to my account so that I could do whatever I needed to do to be with my family. Um, the point is this. We need friends, and we need a community, and we need a church family because at some point, every one of us will be in a position like the paralyzed man where we're helpless, and we need people, other people, to be our voice, to be our provision, to be our prayer. Amen? Amen? Quick sidebar with this church family. Um, you guys are really good at this. 
I mean that. You are incredibly generous. If you are part of this church family, um, you will be cared for, and you're just going to have to live with that. Um, you take care of your own really well, and my family has experienced that firsthand. Um, I thank God for you. And I just want to say keep it up, because when you act like that, it's a witness, and it's a testimony to the power and the love of Jesus. Now, here's my challenge, church family. So if you're visiting, just, just check out for like 60 seconds. Um, ch- church family, here's my challenge. Keep doing that, but while you're doing that, look around. Because every single Sunday, there are people who are walking in the doors for the first time, and they're asking this question. Will I be received into this family? Every Sunday, we have folks that walk in the door, and and that is their primary question. Will I be welcomed here? So consider this, church. On Sunday mornings especially, do you spend more time catching up with old friends and hashing through church business or looking for someone to welcome into the family? Do you hear me, church? Like, we know each other. We, we got time to hang out. But there are folks walking in the door who are asking, can I be part of this place? So for us as a church family, we got to have our eyes open. Um, now, for those of you who are newer here or you're visiting, you may not believe it, but I'm actually an introvert. Um, so by the time that Sunday morning is done today, I'm probably going to go home and wrap up in the fetal position and just cry for a while. Um, listen, meeting new people is, is always kind of scary for me. Um, I've never gotten over being awkward and saying hi and having small talk. However, if I can help welcome you into this crazy South Suburban family, I want to do that. Um, after church, I'm going to be in the coffee cafe after the service just to meet you. Um, Church family, I love you, but I don't want to talk to you today (laughs) because I love you. (laughs) No, I want to be available to welcome new people into the family. So I'm just going to be in the coffee cafe after church just to say hi. There's no obligation for you if you're new to do so, um, but I'll be standing out there looking awkward in a corner, so feel free to come and rescue me. Um, Back to the story. The paralytic and his friends... They were obviously late to the party. You know, everybody wanted to get in with Jesus, so it says the crowd was huge. Um, and they probably bought, brought like nice portable housewarming gifts, like a potted plant or a bottle of wine. These dudes brought a paralytic on a mat. So it just took them longer to arrive. But arrive they did, and this is what it says. It says, when they could not find a way to get their friend into the house to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Um, Now, the Bible doesn't talk about the backstory to these friends, okay? This is kind of where they show up, and and we don't know their story prior to this. Um, so, So if you would, let's just imagine a little bit of what their story might have been. Um, Society wasn't nearly as transient as it is today, right? So it's not like a few of them went to the East Coast for college and others went to the West Coast and maybe they, you know, they Facebooked you know, and kept, kept up with each other. It, it, people most often were born, raised, grew up, 
worked, died in the same community. So it's really likely that these guys grew up together. Now, um, almost everyone in that day was a tradesperson of some sort. So it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility that maybe these guys were all part of the same construction crew. You know? Maybe they grew up together and they were like, let's go into business, let's do this. There are developments to, uh, to build. Um, so it's possible that they worked on this crew together until five years ago when their buddy fell and broke his back. It's possible. Um, now, if they were a construction crew, they would know what it would take to open up a roof because they built most of the roofs in the development to begin with. Um, now, in those days, one construction method for roofing looked like this. Um, the crew would set, uh, would set beams across, uh, across the, uh, the walls for the ceiling uh, and the roof. And then what they would do is they'd take these big tiles and lay them across. Um, they would fill the joints of those tiles with mud, and then they would put a thick layer of mud on top of that for two reasons. One, uh, for insulation purposes, because it's hot outside, and then two, because they, in those days, they used their rooftop as an additional living space. They would hang out up there. They would use it for storage. They would dry foods up on the roof. So, so it, was, it was common to, to make use of that space. And so we read that they, they couldn't find a way in, so they went to the roof and lowered their friend down right in front of Jesus. Doesn't that sound really simple and quaint? It's like, oh, yeah, it's just, you know. They couldn't get in the door, so they just went to the roof, and then there he was. Um, that wasn't a thing. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like um, people normally did that in those days. Um, it wasn't like the guys were sitting around, and one of them was like, hey, when Jesus gets back into town, I've got this new idea I've been working on. It's called a skylight. <laughs> and it's going to let light in from outside. But this one is also going to let Doug in. <laughs> right? It's not like that was what was going on. That was not normal behavior to, like, rip up somebody's property like that. The fact is what they did, it was messy, and it was loud, and it was completely disruptive. For us, it would be like if, you're, if you have a really special guest over to dinner, and one of the neighbors um, decided to come to the dinner, and they did so by driving their car into your living room, and then honking the horn just to make sure that you knew they were there. That's what this was like. It was really bold. And you can imagine Jesus hearing a commotion above his head and then watching a bunch of jokers like drop mud and sticks and twigs all over everybody and then be like, okay, here's Doug. Right? That's, that's what happened. So Jesus watches all this take place. And then it says, he saw the faith this group of friends had, and because of their faith, he both forgave the paralytic sins and physically healed him. Isn't Jesus cool? Like, his first reaction wasn't to call the HOA and unleash a legal team and an army of subcontractors on these guys, you know? It, he says he was actually impressed by what happened. I don't know how you would respond. That's not how I would probably respond. But he was impressed. The original Greek says that when Jesus saw their faith, like in the plural, the faith of this group of friends, he turned to the paralyzed man and he forgave him his sins. I mean, he seriously, he was like Oprah. He was like, you got some faith. You got some faith. You got some faith. And you got new legs. You know, I mean, he was just like, he was all about this. Um, 
Now, here's the question. Why in the world would Jesus start with forgiving the man's sins? Right? If we're sitting around listening to Jesus teach, dudes open up the roof and make everything messy and then drop a paralyzed man right in front of Christ, wouldn't, and he's like, hey, you're forgiven, um, wouldn't we be thinking, I don't want to be, I don't want to like state the obvious, Lord, but there's a paralyzed thing going on here. I mean, forgiveness is neat, but homeboy can't walk. Well, here's the thing. The thinking back then was that you deserve the bad things that happened to you. If someone was born with a physical defect or they had experienced a life-altering catastrophe of some sort, it was because they deserved it. Now, there's significant implications to that way of thinking. One was that it created a cultural stigma around people who experienced something bad in their lives. And it made it acceptable to create distance. Hey, they're getting what they deserve, and I don't want to pick any of that up. So I'm just going to keep my distance. They're just getting what's coming to them. Um, here's another implication. Um, if someone deserved their bad circumstances, it was pointless to try to change the situation. You don't intervene in something that's coming somebody's way anyhow. Um, let me ask you, uh, does our culture do that? Do we stigmatize people that are in difficult circumstances? When Hurricane Ike struck Haiti in 2008, part of the narrative in some circles was that the destruction was God's judgment on that nation for practicing voodoo. They just got what was coming to them. You might recall that last year, um, that wasn't part of the news cycle when hurricanes hit Texas and Florida. Whoops. But those people, see what I'm saying? Um, another, another example, how do we as a culture view immigrants and refugees? Tough circumstances, right? Um, while the Bible talks about caring for the needs of the foreigner and the outsider, our culture often sees immigrants and refugees only as potentially dangerous people trying to bring their problems into our country. Never mind the fact that Jesus himself and his parents, Joseph and Mary, were refugees, fleeing from an oppressive government and seeking political asylum in a foreign country. Oops. Never mind that. Um, they're getting what they deserve. That's just how life goes. Um, by the way, our, um, our country in the last year has allowed 41 immigrants um, across the border in, into our nation from Syria. 41 in the last year. Um, there are a lot of innocent folks who have been killed in Syria. Does this ring any bells with the headlines? Um, here's, here's the thing. Uh, 
I, 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 I really don't care what your politics are on this. If you are a Christian, indifference is never an option. Regardless of your perspective, regardless of your opinion, if you are a believer in Jesus, you never have the option to be indifferent. I get that, that, that these kind of things are broad debates and discussions, but wherever you fall on the spectrum in that conversation, if you love Jesus, you don't get to be indifferent to suffering and to the impact of sin in our world because Jesus is not. Do you hear me, church? Jesus is never indifferent to suffering, and he's never indifferent to sin because his mission to this day is to set people free. So when he forgave the paralytic of his sins, he didn't sidestep the fact that everybody misses the mark. He forgave that man's actual personal sins. But in doing so, he also lifted this cultural stigma off of him that he had borne for years that said he deserved to be on the mat. In front of everybody, Jesus restored this man's dignity and inherent worth because Jesus sets people free. Amen? Now, there's not time today to dive into the affront that Jesus caused the religious people in the room by forgiving the man's sins. But suffice it to say, they were ready to strangle him because a mere man can't forgive sins. Only God can do that. But Jesus didn't stop with forgiveness. He took it a step further, and he backed up his identity and authority as God to forgive him by turning to the man and saying, stand up and walk home. Um, he both forgave him and physically healed him. Last week, Patrick talked about this idea of not only being healed, but being made whole, being restored, being made complete. That's what Jesus did for this guy. Because he didn't, just, he didn't just fix whatever physical problem was going on. When, when, when he said, I, you're forgiven, he took all the guilt and all the shame and all the cultural stigma and said, no more. That is a big deal. I don't know about you, but I know that I need that. Just because you stand up here on this thing and talk this way on a Sunday doesn't mean you got your stuff together. And I know that I need a savior like that who deals with real life and real people. So why does this matter? I mean, how, how can this change our lives? Well, it can change our lives because Jesus is the same today as he was then. Do you hear me? His message and his mission is still to set people free. He wants to both forgive us of our sins where we've missed the mark, and he wants to heal and restore us. So here's, here's the question for us today. Where do we find ourselves in this season of life? Um, in some way, are you paralyzed and in need of help? Do you need a community of friends and a church family to gather around you and carry you to Jesus today? 
Or is God tapping you on the shoulder today and reminding you of a circumstance and saying, I need you to pick up a mat with one hand and start ripping up shingles with the other? Where are you at today? Listen, if, if you're in the first category and you're saying, man, I walked in here and I, I'm not sure I can walk out. Life is just that way today. Um, just like in today's story, healing starts with getting closer to Jesus. And if the burden that you're carrying has held you back from getting close to him, be encouraged that Jesus is okay with messy. <laughs> So if you want to say yes to him today for the first time, or if you're coming back to him and saying, I'm in need, help, then I'd invite you to pray along with me now. Jesus, I've heard that, uh, that you heal people and that you change people's lives. Um, I need that. I need that. I need, I need, to, be, I need to be changed. Um, forgive me because I've missed the mark. God, I've done things that have, that have hurt myself and things that have hurt other people. Um, and God, I want to I be made whole. So I'm kind of stepping out, but it's because I've heard that you change people's lives and I'm asking, will you change my life today? and heal whatever's broken inside of me. Pray that in, in, in your name. Amen.